Welcome to the Morphous for Menopause podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky. I'm a nutritionist for more than 16 years who's in menopause. I'm a menopause educator and avid menopause researcher. I'm passionate about sharing information about perimenopause and menopause so that you can feel more empowered to take charge of this next phase of your life. Today, I'm interviewing Anne-Marie McQueen, an award-winning journalist with more than 25 years of experience. Her newsletter, Hot Flash Inc., covers products, guidance, and the latest research and treatments for perimenopause and menopause. She's also my friend and co-host of the Menopause Shift Summit. Now, here's Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, welcome to Morphous. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. It's so good to see you again, too. And as I mentioned in the intro, you are my co-host on the Menopause Shift Summit, so we are not new to each other. But I am so excited to have you on our podcast, on our YouTube channel, because as being who you are with your newsletter, I love that you're on top of all the latest information, news, trends, and everything. And I wanted to start with rebranding menopause as a hormone deficiency syndrome. So for those of you who are familiar with me, you'll always hear me say menopause is not a disease, but rather a phase of life. And Emery, I wanted to get your opinion on what's kind of being said out there regarding menopause as a hormone deficiency syndrome. Yeah, that really uh, irritates me. And I I, it's a feminist argument, but I think it's just, I just think it's, it speaks to the larger medicalization of many, many things that happens. And it's always, you know, in the larger context to me, it's always about commercialism and, and people making money, mm -hmm. you know? And so you're taking something that's a natural transition as natural as puberty and you're calling it a disease or a syndrome. This is not new. I mean, this is a way to, that's been used to mar a marketing term for all sorts of things, but particularly hormone therapy for decades. But it's sort of like a resurgence. When I talk to some of the older doctors who are opposed to this, they say, yeah, this is just like a resurgence of something that's been going on for a really long time, but it's new to us because we're new to menopause. So I just, I violently oppose it. The main reason is I don't have kids, but I have a 12-year-old uh, niece, and I just think, what, am I going to tell her that her life is, um, it's going to be fine, but by the time she gets to my age, I'm almost exactly 40 years older than her, she's going to have a disease and a syndrome that's going to need to be medicated. That's just, it's absolutely ridiculous to me, and it doesn't mean that you... Um, you can't take hormone therapy because it helps many, many, many people, but it sets you up for feeling like you have to take drastic action for something that's a, that's a natural transition. Yeah, you know, there's so many things that make me crazy about it. Like, I know it makes you crazy too. <laughs> well, I think it's just more of, you know, I, I like to come, and I know you do too, from a point of empowering women at this phase of life. So, and so many of us, I feel like we're so you know, there's so many negatives. I, I did a post yesterday on TikTok regarding the positives of, of menopause because we hear so much about the negatives, right? And the comments were really interesting from the women saying, you know, some women were like, yay, amazing, positives, that there are a lot of positives. And then some of the women were saying that it's hard to see the positives because there are so many negatives, right? And they're in that kind of that, that way of of being and feeling at this time, which is understandable. So when you when you, we talk about something like this, I feel like it puts a little bit of another negative spin on it. And I feel right. So I feel like that's where it's kind of like, it feels a little bit like defeated, I guess. Well, it's easy to get it's easy to get bogged down on that. And what you know, I follow the UK really closely. And I feel like they have really got involved in the disease narrative. And it, today, I just interviewed um, this woman named Debbie um, 
who is at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with this, with a one woman show called Menopause Party, and she's a comedian and also like a pub landlady. And she was saying, "There's a fine line, you know, between moaning and laughing, and it's easy to get bogged down in it. But when when you're hearing from greater, uh, you know, you're hearing it all around, and you're hearing it from doctors because a lot of doctors are in favor of calling this a disease or a syndrome because they're on the medical side. And when you hear that, yeah, it." You know, studies have shown that the way that we think about menopause and the way that we talk about it impacts how we experience it. And we know this just from living our lives until this point where if you speak about something negatively, negatively, if you think about it negatively, it's going to be worse. It's going to be harder. This doesn't mean you have to be Pollyanna about it. You can be like, this is really tough. We know that this is really tough. But taking it to the point of being a disease or a deficiency when it's not, it's it's to me, it's so wrong, and I'll argue against it till the end of time. I just will. It, you know, I, I just cannot stand it, and it amazes me how many people, you know, and I'll have to accept people who who feel that it should be. And I get these comments too on social media. All I was the just going to ask you, what kind of comments are you getting? Because yeah. I know you're you're vocal about it. So what what the reactions from people on your social media? They all someone inevitably comes back or multiple people come back saying it is a disease i feel so terrible i feel so awful and i i don't know what to say like that's just a difference of opinion and this is always going to exist one of the problems with menopause and one of the reasons i got into this in the first place was were these polarities that exist mm-hmm. like um the, the binary nature of it like just the way we are as a world and a society where we want one thing that will fix everything we want to define everything one way it's sort of the way i feel like we feel safe moving through the world you know what i mean it's like the people who've taken hormone therapy and it's worked for them that's all they want to talk about and they don't want you to ever say well hormone therapy doesn't work for everyone if you think that menopause is a disease if you feel that it is a disease um then you're gonna argue about it with me and that's totally fine like i'm happy to have everyone say everything and i and it's fine if you accept it but the other thing andrea that bugs me is that i feel that the diseases of aging yeah uh, are being conflated too much with the transition of menopause and the use of the word disease or syndrome for menopause just creates like a full highway to these diseases of aging. And yes, they are connected to menopause, but take dementia, for example. I mean, this is really being just lumped together, like menopause, dementia, menopause, dementia now. It just doesn't seem to be any, there doesn't seem to be any separation between the two. And the brain fog and sort of lowered brain function that we experience during menopause is temporary. It is, a, there's a book out right now called The Upgrade by Luann Brisendine about how this is a temporary transition and you come out of it um, in a better place. You can also have early signs of dementia at this age. But do you know what I mean? Like this whole, when you say call menopause a disease, I just feel like you lump it in with everything and there has to be a distinction. And you make a really good point. And, you know, because I think we're feeling so, so many of us are, you know, we're experiencing the 85 plus signs and symptoms that, you know, we know we used to think that 30 to 40, but now we know that there are more than 85 of those symptoms um, from all the research that we're doing. And I think that it's hard to make that distinction for many of us because of the fact that it's all happening at the same time. But I love that you're mentioning it. That is two different things. Unfortunately, they coincide. 
and because yeah. they coincide, right? So it's hard to just to decipher which one is which, but I, I love your point of view, Emery. And you know what I love about you too? I love that you have an opinion and you're passionate about it and you express it. And I, I love that you, you, you kind of, you push back and you're like, you know, especially on your social media, you push back on in your newsletter and you're like, Hey, listen, let's have an open discussion about it. You know, you might feel one way, someone else might feel someone like another way, but it's okay to actually discuss that and have a difference of opinions. And I think that's what I, I love that and admire that a lot about you. Thank you. Well, look, I've been a journalist for 25 years and I've covered a lot of health and wellness. And I call myself a recovering journalist because I'm no longer in like, you know, mainstream media. Um, although I'm going to be writing a column in Canada, so I'm going to be coming back into it. But, um, it gives me it gives me a perspective that other people might not have about and the reason I call myself a recovering journalist is that I can see narratives developing and I can see how in my career yep. as a journalist I always pursued the truth that's always been my goal the truth is like my number one thing to talk about and uncover and pursue but when there's narratives involved it creates bias it creates a pack mentality it creates a whole bunch of things that get in the way of the truth, if that makes sense. So when you, oh, yeah. you know, for example, calling menopause a disease that comes from somewhere, some of the buzzwords and phrases that we're seeing that filter down to social media, that's coming from a high level public relations company that's been hired to create messaging. It filters down, people just, it comes in inboxes, it's spread across, and then it creates a narrative. And then when you're speaking out against the narrative, you sound a bit crazy. <laughs> So that's kind of what I feel like I bring to it is like, I've been here, I've seen these things develop over time. I've seen them then be unraveled and unpacked yeah. in my lifetime. I've had a chance and you've, you've seen this too, like nutritionists, such like, Oh God, in the, in the health and wellness industry. I mean, yeah. yes, all the time. So I've been covering this for so long and I had an interest in wellness when I started out because my, my mom died when I was 27. Uh, she was always sort of unwell. And so I, I, looking back, you can sort of see why maybe you started to pursue. And I did all kinds of other reporting, mm -hmm. but I always was doing health and wellness. And, you know, a good example is organic, um, organic farming. And I remember stories like, I remember how many studies there were 20 years ago that organic produce is no better than regular produce. I don't know if you remember, like, that's just something that's just crazy, right? But I was that, say not true. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> possibly true. But I remember those stories. And I, there's a ton of examples of stuff like this. And, you know, like, the media, I, I always defended it because I was a person like chasing the truth, doing my best to uncover the truth in the time that I had. But when you're a daily news reporter on any platform, you have zero time. And also, if you uncover information that's contrary to what um, your editors believe, there's a real like persuasion that has to go on there. There's a real discomfort level with... Um, you know, with not reporting with the pack. And that's, that happened to me many times over my career. So, right. um, yeah, it's kind of nice to be out of it and to be able to do it on my own, but it's really a bit scary because sometimes when I say things that are, uh, you know, outside of what people believe, I will get like people saying, you know, you get that you're irresponsible, you're this, you're that. And that's a bit because scary. 
own. I don't have a big media company behind me, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's your, your opinion and your, and by the way, we're allowed to have opinions, right? Like, and, and that's the thing, but it's when people don't like what your opinion is and that's where, and you know, you're always going to get it in social media. The people who don't agree are going to scream the loudest, right? As opposed to the people who necessarily who do, or maybe are unsure. And I think that's where the, that's where it's so important to have the conversations because it used to be that HRT or hormone therapy was so not, you know, it wasn't a thing, right? And now we see the turn in the tide as whereas now it's like, okay, well, research is coming out, the North American Menopause Society is coming out and saying, well, it, it can be a treatment and it could be very effective. So I think it's very confusing for a lot of women who perhaps aren't aware or who perhaps were told that they can have it. And now we're saying, well, wait, you're saying that I can possibly have it. So mm -hmm. things are changing all the time. Right. And that's what's so beautiful about our world is that things are always changing and we're always learning. And I think that when it comes to, and this is a really good segue into what I want to talk about next, which is menopause hormone therapy, because I think that for many of us, even me, when I started learning about this, so I've been now in the menopause really researching and heavily educating about menopause for about five years now. And I remember when I first came in, my team, I was very adamant about not even going down the menopause hormone therapy route. And I was like, no, 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 I'm never going to try it because of the, you know, the women's health initiative that happened. And now that I've learned so much over the last five years, I'm like, well, wait a second, I want to try it. You know, I'm interested now in trying it, but is it right for me? And I really believe in Amory and I want to hear your opinion on it, although I know what it is, but I want you to share it with everybody. You know, it's such a personal decision, but I feel if, if any of us are made to feel bad about wanting to try it or bad about using it, then I feel like, or, or the opposite, right? I just feel like that's where we get into this thing of like, we all need to kind of do what's best for us and we need to stop with the judgments. And I think that's where, that's what upsets me the most really is the judgments on both sides. Yeah, for sure. Because, oh gosh, this is such a touchy, touchy subject. Yeah. and. You know, like I said, if someone has been helped by hormone therapy and they're in a position um, and they have some sort of platform, then, you know, you're seeing this in the UK with the celebrities and some of the journalists who've been helped. Uh, they're shouting about it. Everyone needs hormone therapy. This is the singular part of the issue. Um, when it comes to deciding whether hormone therapy is right for you, I just made a video yesterday. It is such a personal decision. It involves a lot of weighing and a lot of research. I don't like when it's portrayed as a Band-Aid that will help everything because I think there's so many things coming at us at this time of life. Just take, for example, um, the issue of alcohol. And, you know, a number of healthcare practitioners have told me that you shouldn't be drinking when you're on hormone therapy. That raises your risks. And I've also heard of people saying that women feel so good on hormone therapy, they start drinking again. Like that's just, you know, one area where I just don't like the idea that people can slap on hormone therapy and then they don't have to worry about their diet. They don't have to worry about processing trauma. They don't have to worry about exercise because they're feeling better or they think they will, or you go on it and it doesn't help you or it makes you feel worse, which I hear stories about that all the time too. So it's a very personal decision and I'm in the process of making this decision because I'm going through perimenopause myself. And everything, every time I think I've decided what to do, I speak to another expert or I read another study or book that makes me think, oh God, I don't know anything, you know, like, and I, like you set out because I have certain biases. I don't like to take medication. I don't like to do, I don't like to take any things that um, can sort of like 
in my mind change the natural course of things. And so my keeping an open mind about hormone therapy has been like really tough for me. I've had resistance to it, but I also think it helps me be skeptical and that's good. But you know, certainly the women's women's health initiative study was it was a really badly conducted study and everyone knows that, but I've been reading a lot more about it and it was it was really poorly done in so many ways. And the data that we have it sh it shows that hormone therapy does um, obviously it improves so many symptoms and North American Menopause Society came out and you know talked all about certainly for hot flashes sleep mood all those things it can help and then we have all these peripheral sort of like other things that it's not officially um, prescribed for but like you know skin and hair and all that stuff um, where I think it's really confusing is that you have the integrative functional world that's farther ahead and you have tr traditional medicine and you know when we did the menopause shift summit together one thing that struck me was how many of those integrative functional people were talking about estrogen and how good it is for us and how much it can protect against disease and how much it's good for anti-aging and longevity i heard that over and over you're not hearing that from the official bodies but we also know they're like 10 or 20 years behind the times so if you're someone who's like trying to get all the information you're still not going to be able to get it because you'll have the North American Menopause Society saying we're not recommending that you go on hormone therapy to um, help prevent dementia and then you'll have integrative people over here saying that you should you'll have integrative people saying um, bioidentical hormone therapy is safer than um, regular synthetic hormone therapy you won't have the official bodies saying that um, but you'll also have you know people you know the book estrogen matters which I just started diving into the way they explain the data is that there's so much data on the synthetic form of estrogen that there really isn't evidence yet to say that bioidentical is better but we know that the integrative and functional world is usually you know they're right on a lot of things and they're ahead of time so this is a lot of things I just dumped at you but how does anyone figure this out I think taking a lot of time yeah. asking a ton of questions going with your intuition not feeling like you've given up if you decide to try it I my this is where I'm at so far going low and slow um, yeah. I, I may start with some progesterone because I'm having some sleep and mood issues and I would go with um, the oral micronized progesterone because I don't hear the distinction made a lot between synthetic progestogens which is progestin and, and the others and progesterone which is bioidentical so I may st you know I still don't know we have time you've got this window um, and it's an evolving conversation and that's very difficult when you are feeling really crappy and you don't know what to do and so I see sometimes, I don't know, I see, you're not like this at all, you're awesome on social media, you're really balanced, but do you see these accounts that are just like one or the other, this is oh, yeah. how people, you've blown up on social media without being like this, and congratulations to you, but in the beginning I thought, oh my god, I have to talk about hormone therapy all the time, or I have to do, you know, I'm just not, I can't be one of those people, I can't give, I can't give, there's no easy answers to this, right, so I can't give them, I can't pretend that there are just to get followers. <laughs> no, absolutely, and you know what, first of all, thank you. Um, but I've, what I've realized about social media for me, at least is that I have to be true to who I am and mm -hmm. I'm not a hormone expert. 
I talk yeah. about, I always say I talk, I stay in my lane, which is nutrition, lifestyle, and supplements. Yeah. I've been digging into the research on supplements over the last three years, really heavily, right? Nutrition, the last 22 plus years, like I are 16 plus years as a nutritionist, but in the health and wellness space for 22 plus years. So these are the lanes that I stay in. So, and I agree with you. And it does, when I do see that push of this way or the highway, it's a red flag for me because yeah. My philosophy as a nutritionist and being in this health and health health and wellness world for so many years, I've learned that there isn't it's it's not black and white. It's gray. And there's so many and it's a rainbow, actually, because there are so many different things to take into consideration. And, and let's look for a second. We're talking about hormone therapy. When we talk about pushing that hormone therapy as the only way to do it. First of all, you're saying that then, you know, not taking lifestyle, nutrition and supplements into account, which is false because they can all work beautifully together. And I've interviewed experts who have agreed. And listen, like I say, I'm not the hormone expert, but I'm like, okay, when we're taking supplements, can we take supplements with HRT? And I've had many experts say, yes, absolutely. But the other thing too, is like you said, is that if it's only that way and not another way, well, what if it doesn't work for you? Like many women have told us on our, on, on my TikTok page and many women, and you said, you know, like you've said, you've interviewed people and you've spoken to women who've told you the same. So it becomes that disappointment, right? Yeah. And then it's like they're giving, they're giving up because, oh, well, if it's not going to work for me, then like, you know, what's going to work for me or what's going to help me. So I really have tried to come from this point of view of, you know, there are different ways that we can do it. And especially with, with hormone therapy, what about our genetics? Because I don't hear that being spoken about very much at all in terms of if you're going to start hormone therapy, well, you need to understand the way your estrogens are breaking down. Now, again, is that the integrative world that's, that's talking about that? And that is that because it's the integrative world that we're not hearing that more in the conventional side? Because if you're going to start, let's say even bioidentical hormones, right? You still need to understand how your estrogen is breaking down. And if it's breaking down, it, there's the two, the four, 16. And I've talked about this a lot on my podcast. You can go check out the interview I did with um, Debbie Rice, Dr. Debbie Rice from the Dutch, for those of you who are watching from the Dutch company. And I've talked about it with many different experts is that we need to understand what our body does with those hormones. So just going blanketly and starting something without understanding the way our body processes things, how do you methylate, right? So all of this comes into play. And that's where I feel like, the danger is because we need to, it's not just like, yep, yeah, here, go do it. It's okay. Absolutely. It's an option, but let's understand your body better because it's all customized to us individually and then understand how is your body taking it from there. Yeah, but then uh, definitely, definitely. But then, you know, if you're just on social media, you've got the doctors who are saying, um, if your doctor, if your healthcare practitioner recommends a Dutch test, get a new healthcare practitioner. I mean, you have doctors That's literally saying the Dutch test is yeah. useless. Um, and it's these. this is the way the conver conversations are. Hormone pellets are terrible. Hormone pellets are awesome. The Dutch test is useless. And anyone who does it is a scammer. And, you know, it, uh, like there's everyone makes their mark by picking right. like sort of a subject. There's a lot that you can find out if you read and you have an open mind. And I so I just one thing that bothers me, it's a little bit of an aside, but when people follow like one person on social media, right. that really bothers me. I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes people will tag me with just one doctor. Mm -hmm. And like, basically, you know, if you followed this doctor, you would understand everything. And I interview experts all the time. I'm sure yeah. you notice this. They have blind spots and biases and shocking things that they don't know. <laughs> and they're human. And by the way, nobody knows everything. And that's no, no, why. <laughs> yeah, but people treat doctors like they do know everything. 
And I think that is a number, like a very top thing to consider right. that your own doctor has, you know, their amount of knowledge and they can learn and adapt, but you need to take responsibility for this. And that's the hardest thing about this time of life because you've got young kids at home, like you do, you've got aging parents, you've got career, you've got everything coming at you. You don't feel well. That's why it's a really, it's a tough, it's a tough time. It's yeah. like, I don't have the answer really. Like, I, I don't know. It's evolving. It's, um, it's evolving and you have to take yeah. responsibility. That's one of the biggest things. Back to nutrition, exercise, um, all of the things that we need to be doing. I, you know, when I see women, I, I, before I did this, I joined all these Facebook groups and it was just like this litany of misery in these Facebook mm -hmm. groups. <laughs> and uh, I think it's part of the reason I haven't started a Facebook group because I just couldn't bear like to have, be at the helm of a litany of misery. But, um, you know, I, I have to wonder, like, I always have to wonder, like, how much wine are you drinking? How much, what is your marriage like? Are you facing tr up to truths? Um, what is your diet like? Do you move? Do you go outside? Like, when I hear these tales of absolute woe, and this is not a judgment of any kind, yep. but I'm a person going through this, and I know what it's, it, how it goes when I'm drinking alcohol. I know how it goes when I start eating more sugar and having, like, lots of, you know, ref <laughs> Um, refined carbo, you know, like I know that things start to slide really quickly. I know how my sleep goes when I don't have good sleep hygiene, when I don't do a morning routine to get my brain right, when I don't do the work on my brain and my body, I know how things go. So I'm a firm believer that like put those layers in place as best you can. And it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, you can, you just go, you walk every morning. I try to walk every morning. I do breathing exercises, some meditation, eat, eat as whole, as many whole foods as possible. So yeah, there's uh, so much we could do exactly that, you know, like exactly that don't cost money, like our nutrition, like our lifestyle, like managing stress levels, just by managing uh, our stress levels can make a massive difference in how we feel and our well, symptoms. Find, experiencing. Yeah, sorry. But do you find like this happened to me in the summer, I just went down a dark hole where my stress went out of control. And here in Abu Dhabi, people leave for the summer. So all of my sort of friends were gone. And I do, this happens every summer, by the way, if I don't, when I, it, it, it's a reoccurring thing for the last 14 years, but I just got into kind of a dark hole and then everything slipped. My morning walk didn't happen because I didn't feel like it. And yep. then my sleep just went down the toilet. Like it was absolutely crazy. I was waking up in the middle of the night, hot flashes came back, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So it's not in our head, but it's in our head because our heads are our bodies and it's all connected, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I always say that what worked for us before menopause or perimenopause may not work for us now. And in most cases, it doesn't work for us now. Right. And that's why if we didn't, you know, we were able to drink alcohol before bed and it didn't bother you, or you were able to eat anything you wanted before and just exercising really heavily and you were okay it all yeah. changes as we get into this phase of life. So, and I love, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. And I love that because you had said that just because we go into this phase of life doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at all the other aspects. And I hundred percent agree because we need to be looking at our nutrition or lifestyle at supplements, because I truly believe we don't get everything we need from our food. I'm a nutritionist. I am saying that. And I get pushed back a lot by other nutritionists saying, no, 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 every, you know, food, food, food. That's the only thing you should be looking at. Well, I don't agree. I do believe that we need to get sub we need to supplement our diet food first, of course, nutrition first, 100%. You can't out supplement good nutrition. Absolutely. But you know, we have to look at making these permanent changes. Because these are things that once you're in menopause, you're always in menopause for the rest of your life. So like puberty, right? 
So making these changes as looking at what we're eating, looking at how we're managing stress, which by the way, is the hardest thing. So yeah, I've been up and down that roller coaster of anxiety and stress and, and we're humans. So we're going to have that roller coaster of emotions that are going on, but really looking to kind of like refine it as much as we can by cutting things out that possibly may not be as good for us anymore. Like that nightcap before bed, it's a, that's interrupting our sleep. And when we don't get sleep, it's the foundation of everything. And oh, it kind of cascades into everything else. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Changing the um, exercise was a big thing because, you know, for my whole life, when things were out of control, I would just make these crazy workout schedules and follow them and feel really and, and eat really well and not drink alcohol and just feel really pristine and get like right back on track. Right. Mm-hmm. I would make crazy schedules like spinning then go to Bikram yoga like and then and I do that like four or five times a week. It's insane. Yeah. Like, All on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I work a full day, like come in the office early, then race out to spinning, race out to yoga. Um, but there's so many other things too. And because you have to tackle everything, it takes a long time. So now I've, I've realized, okay, it's probably, this is not the time for really, it took me a couple of years to realize, no, I'm not, I can't do the whole that 45 Friday morning class. Like it'll lay me out for a couple of hours, hit, hit, tough hour long hit exercise. It's not for me. It's just, I can't do it anymore. And I won't have the exhilaration that I remember from the past and fine. It's okay. You know, I can still sweat. I can still have a good time. And the overdoing it is a big, big thing for me because I have a, like a lifetime of overdoing it. My dad just said to me when I was at home, well, you've been doing this your whole life. And this trip home is a good example of, I had to disappoint some people because I just was I'm learning slowly to conserve my my energy and do a more reasonable number of things in the time that I have. And I found this trip home easier in a lot of ways because I wasn't like tearing around and trying to see every single person. I didn't see you and we still haven't met in real life. We will, we will. But um, you know, that's an example or like just having this idea in my head that while I was there, I had to go to hot yoga every day because I don't have it here. And, yeah. and I have to like, you know, do 17 things with my niece and nephew rather than like two or three really good things and just watch the movies, you know, like yeah. those are tough. And, but I noticed when I was coming back, I'm like, I don't feel so ragged from this trip, you know, cause I wasn't putting the pressure on myself. That makes a huge difference. And I think communication like I've been working on this for the last couple of years. I didn't used to communicate. I would never tell anyone how I felt. I had resentments built up. And that's this is the toughest skill of all, right? Like telling people how you feel, being yeah. real with your friends. Um, I think that that's a really important, a really important thing to discover during this time. And that's why I hate when people call it a disease and focus only on hormone therapy. Yeah, communication, being gentle with ourselves, giving Mm. ourselves the grace and the patience to be able, I always say this is like, you think of it, we're recalibrating, right? You think of it as like your your phone that's upgrading. It's the same thing. Sometimes it'll last two years. Sometimes, you know, it'll last 12 years, unfortunately, you know, for those of you who are going through perimenopause a lot longer. For me, it lasted, my perimenopause was eight years before I went into menopause. And it could be, you know, it could feel like forever when you're in that, you know, in that kind of that change period or that transition period. But it is important to give ourselves, you know, patience and grace and to allow ourselves to do it. So congratulations, because I think that's huge is just understanding what your limits are and understanding what you can and can't give, because at the end of the day, it's you're going to feel better for it. 
Yeah, and you have to take care. You're the only person who's going to take yeah. the best care of you, right? And I, I don't know. I think my whole life I thought someone was going to come along and take away the burden of being human. And I read a lot of this outside of the world of menopause that a lot of us feel this way. You know, we don't want to have to have that burden of being a human being. But I think that's part of this time of life. Yeah. But the coolest thing, when you talk about the good parts of menopause, and it's such a weird transition because you you have all this fatigue and tiredness and mood. But I don't. I know you are also filled with this tremendous sense of purpose and focus and like excitement about like the new ventures, and that's the craziest thing. Because I say to myself, "Why are you taking on all this stuff? You don't know if you're going to feel well or not feel well." And I'm like, "I don't care. I just feel so excited about the next stage of life." So it's such a weird place to be in, you know. You have this renewed energy, second acts, um, and then also sometimes he just really don't feel well so yeah and I for the longest time when I was going through Perry you know it's funny I, I it's kind of like I say this a lot I said I'm a I'm a total type a personality I always have been I'm an entrepreneur for more than 22 years I'm driven by my passion it is who I am and when I was going through perimenopause I remember thinking to myself oh my gosh I just went from like a type triple a personality to like an f minus what is going on? I didn't want to do anything. I had no motivation, no focus, no concentration. Like I literally some days couldn't even get or didn't want to get out of bed, which was very not unlike me, like completely unlike me. And then as I went through and as I got into menopause, it's like, it's all come back. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm ready. You know, I had the time where I kind of just did my thing. I, you know, I coasted through it, did what I needed to do to get through it. And now I'm like, okay, let's do this, starting a new company and like doing all this stuff. So thank you for acknowledging that because it really does get better as we get into, at least for me, I find it did get better as we got into, as I got into menopause and my hormones kind of, you know, got into that, those menopausal ranges and I got my sense of renewal back. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's different for everyone. My forties, I had a, a, I had a really great job, but I was sort of having this like just, it's funny because I got the really great job and I was enjoying the really great job. And then all of a sudden I like, I lost my sort of yeah. fire that I'd had. And I was, I spent a couple of years just really wanting to do something else. Now I know that now, just not really knowing what it was. And then also feeling crazy and terrible and not knowing why, because I didn't even realize I was in perimenopause till 48 until I actually missed a period. But stuff had been going on for five, six, seven years, maybe. Like, I remember feeling tremendous anxiety at the age of 41. Like, that's when I started having sort of almost panic attacks. So once I hit 48 and everything got better, I also um, lost, a, like, lost that job and the sale of a company then. So I had went through what I think a lot of people will go through in midlife is just like a real reckoning. Like I lost a job, I lost a relationship and I was like lower probably than I'd ever been. But then once I sort of picked myself up and got myself back going, started freelancing, built up my own thing. I have been, you know, I'm still going through it, but I have that sense of purpose. I do look at menopause as a renewal. I really do. It's a new beginning. Mm -hmm. It's a chance to, you know, we're more empowered. We have more wisdom. Like there's so much that is happening to us at this stage that I know it masks a lot of the symptoms that you're feeling and because you're feeling so crappy and not like yourself or like you're going crazy. All of those, I validate them and I, I support them and I do, you know, and I understand it because I was there. 
And I do believe that it is a, an incredible time in our life to start again. And once you're feeling better and again, no pressure, right? Like you go, you do you, 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 you were the captain of your own ship. So when you're feeling better, when, if, even if, you know, that you, you want to do something, it's okay. There's no judgment at all on any side of it. Right. But I do believe that, um, it, you know, as we get into menopause, there are a lot of these positives and our years of experience under our belt is huge. I remember when I was turning 50, I had a really hard time with it. Like at 47, I already had a hard time with it. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so old and everything. Even now when I hear that, I, you know, I say I'm 52, it sounds so old, but yet we're in my mind, I'm so young still. Right. And I think it's wrapping our head around as we're getting into this phase of life. So I had a hard time turning 50, but I remember listening to a podcast. Oprah was talking with three women in their sixties. They were um, supermodels. And she was, they were saying how it was difficult and, you know, aging and how, you know, them themselves were feeling at this stage of their life. And then Oprah had said, you know, I never had an issue with age because I always felt that every year that I got older meant more experience that I was able to talk about. And as she, when she said that, I was like, I got it. I got it. And ever since then, I like tell everybody how old I am. Like, I'm not ashamed of it at all anymore. I embraced it. It was a mindset shift. And it was something that was so healthy for me because now I embrace my age and it's to me, I'm like, okay, it's all this experience that's underneath me. Because when I, when I was 30 or even when I, you know, when I got into the health and wellness industry, I mean, I knew nothing. Right. And like, look at all the years, 22 plus years of experience that I've gained by being this age. So it really is just kind of changing, flipping the script. Right. But don't you think it's powerful that we're all doing that? Like we're the generation. I mean, women have done it for decades. They've always bucked the trends and said, I'm not going to be invisible and I'm going to be out doing things. But I feel like really now this Gen, Gen X. X group is like, yeah. like when you flip the script in your head and I flipped in the uh, same thing. I used to think old and scared and nothing's going to, it's all going to be over. When we, each one of us that does that and lets yeah. go of the shame of being older yeah. and the shame of going through menopause, then collectively it's just a really powerful thing. And I am feeling that like, I'm not, I don't think I'm being like uh, positive without good reason. Like things are very much shifting. And I really, I've, I've compared, I'm fascinated with the hero's journey. Have you, do you know about the hero's journey? Um, Joseph Conrad's it's like basically every story ever told every, every movie plot you've ever seen is based around the hero's journey, which is like, you have a hero who's called to do something and they don't want to go, you know, think of like lethal weapon and Mel Gibson on his last, you know, days and he's got a job to do and he doesn't want to do it because it's his last day of work. Um, but you're called to do it. And I feel when you're called, you're called to change everything and you don't want to do it because we didn't know that we would have to change everything. I, I think I thought I would just like life would get easier and then I would, I don't know what I thought. I didn't really think about it. But then you're called to change everything and then you start to change one thing and two things and three things and things start to come together. You start to recognize your own wisdom. You you feel your own power yeah. and you accept the challenge of like fully being yourself. And then with this experience and wisdom, there's no telling what you can do if you believe in yourself and just get over the fear. And I feel the same about like at 30, I had no business writing a column in a newspaper. And like I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed to think about what I wrote. Like, what was I, you know, I know that we were smarter than we think we were. But when you look back and you're like, geez, what I know now compared to what I know then, like the world needs us. Oh. 
and the world needs us to rise to this this challenge but i think a lot of you know a lot of it is resistance to just not wanting who wants to change everything when they thought they wouldn't have to you know if you weren't paying attention and i'm also the other thing that's crazy is i'm hearing a lot of when i was home there was a lot of people talking about retiring and i was just like retiring like I haven't even thought about retiring. Like I don't, it was very interesting to me. Well, of I course think, we're talking I about think, retiring. I think for a lot of people, they're just, you know, they've had enough. And maybe when they, when they're talking about retiring, they mean doing something different. Right. But for that moment, it's about retiring what they've been doing for all those years and looking to make a change. Because once you retire one thing, then that opens the door for you to be able to see opportunities on the other side. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe it, you know, in the moment they're looking at it, retiring from what they, you know, they were doing for so long. It's and just one of those conversations you're never ready to hear, right? It's like, oh, I, it, I mean, like you said, like, I feel so young inside myself. And I, when I say 52, even now, I'm like, oh, I just can't believe I'm 52. And then when my friends are talking about retiring, I'm like, what are we, <laughs> did we agree to do this? I don't know. It's like, just... <laughs> You're like we have so much more to do yeah. and also because and, and it's great to be able to do other things because we all like and i love what you were saying I, had, I hadn't heard about that project that you were mentioning but i love it because we all have a purpose and we all serve whatever that purpose is you know to help others and to help ourselves so i always say we're the captain of our own ship and mm -hmm. you know we have to empower you know empowering ourselves is so important because then we can empower everyone around us. And especially when it comes to the stigma of menopause, and I still see it now. So like you were saying, you know, if we can all have that, you know, have that mindset slowly at our own pace, at our own time, whenever we can do it and talk about it more. And by talking about it more, we, you know, on TikTok, yeah, or you, you, you know, you're in the menopause space. You talk about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. So for me, I'm like, oh yeah, don't we all talk about it all the time? And then I'll be talking to somebody like a friend or a colleague and I could see the discomfort mm. when I bring yeah. up menopause, right? And it just happened to me the other day. And that's when I become super aware because I try to be very aware of my surround, like about the people around me. I'm like, okay, so we still have work to do. So I still, I mean, I try to like, I don't want to like be too overt about it because I want to be, I want to go with where they're at as well, right? But I try to make it a topic that isn't embarrassing. That isn't, you know, something that we can't speak about because the more we speak about it, the more we'll be able to, kind of own this time in our in our lives and it won't be something embarrassing to speak about so I, I just realized like we we're doing so much amazing work like I love what you do all the you know everyone who's out there speaking about it and advocating and the whole Gen X generation because we are just we're awesome <laughs> you know we're like you know we were doing it but at the same time I feel like there's still a lot of work that we need that needs to be done so that we even the younger and I believe the younger generation is going to come into it kind of like just screaming it from the rooftops too because They're I really see my cool. girls. Yep. What are they? What are they like? What do they think? Oh, I mean, in our house, we talk about menopause, like, you know, my, my kids, even my son. And it was important for me to, to talk about it with my son, because I wanted him, obviously my girls, because one day they'll go through it, but also my son, because I wanted him to understand women when they're going through it. Right. So this is a great story actually so when i first went on started on tiktok my kids were really embarrassed they were like oh my god well they were excited that i was getting on tiktok but they were embarrassed that i was talking about menopause especially my son he's 19 he's in university and whenever i would post he you know he was maybe like proud of me underneath but then like you know like what he would say to me is like oh my god i'm so embarrassed mom all you talk about is menopause but when he went to university the girls who were on his floor i guess he had told them what we were doing on what i was doing on tiktok 
And the girls were like, oh my God, your mom is so cool. She's talking about menopause. And it became like this thing where they, the girls on his floor, they normalized it. And then all of a sudden I was cool. All of a sudden it was okay that I was on TikTok talking about menopause. And now he, I mean, obviously he's proud of me, but it kind of like his whole mindset shifted because he saw how the girls his age, 19 year old girls were accepting and embracing it. So I really truly believe the younger generation is going to come in. By the time they are coming into this, into menopause, it'll be, I, I think, I think it'll be, it'll be amazing. Oh, they're really cool. I mean, I work with some young girls here um, on the other platform that I run and they're so switched on and cool about it. Like there, there's not, there's no issue at all. Yeah. And I had a cool story where I was working in the, in a mall in Abu Dhabi, like in a cafe, but it's like, it's like out in the open cafe. So I, I was working at this bar and and this kid comes by and he said are you on tiktok and i said yeah and he said i watch your videos and i told my mom to watch them and i was like what like why do you watch them you look like you're 20 and he said oh i really like them and i'm learning a lot and i told other people that is so awesome yeah it was really cute and i think probably your son if if you weren't his mom he and he saw them he probably wouldn't think anything of it but you know you know how embarrassed you get by your parents it's so mean they raise you and give you everything It's definitely talking about something, I guess, in their mind is like so far away and he's, you know, he's 19 years old. So yeah, yeah, I really think they have a different attitude about so many things. And well, even periods, right? Look at millennial women, like look, look at the whole period conversation, how much it's changed over the last five years. It is so much more accepted now. It's not this taboo that it was, right? And that is really attributed to these younger women. And I, I love it. I love seeing how it's changed. I love seeing how they've taken control of this, of the whole conversation around it. And that's where I feel like, okay, it's just going to change. It's just going to go right into uh, menopause, which is amazing. And I get this, I get people being uncomfortable because with that period, we were, we were taught to like hide everything and never talk about it and be a, you know, it was almost a feeling of shame, mm-hmm. even in relationships. I remember thinking like, oh, I can't say like I have, but I remember when I moved here, there was a Canadian, a, a young Canadian journalist one morning and I came in and the, this British photographer said, oh, she just took any British people are so funny the way they tell a story. But he said she just took her tampon out and said, oh, it's going to be this kind of day and then walked across the newsroom like holding this tampon. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But that's the kind of thing it takes. And I yes. heard a couple of girls when I was at a 45 last year and they were saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to come Friday, you know, because um, uh, I'm going to have my period. And I thought, that's amazing. Like I wanted to turn around and say, that's the greatest thing of all time. Cause when I was your age, the magazines would have told me work out no matter how you feel, you, yeah. you know, exercise, the workout's the most important thing, right? You were lazy. If you gave into that kind of fatigue that you had that one day a month, I'm so in favor of it. Like I absolutely, yeah. I absolutely love it. And it's paving the way for this menopause conversation too. Absolutely. I love it. Emery, this has been so fun. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to bring up before we end the interview? <sighs> oh, only a million things. <laughs> I, I really want people to make sure they follow like a, a, a spectrum of people, you know, a spectrum of experts and just see sort of the different things that they say. I think that'll give everyone a much better um, perspective. perspective on what to do and, and what to, you know, I always like to get a range of, a range of experts and then you yeah. sort of put them together and use your own intuition and trust yourself. That's always the most important thing. And what's what we're getting better at. So it's a good time to do it. And then can you tell everyone how they can subscribe to your newsletter? Because it's awesome. 
Thank you. Well, um, I'm just in the middle of overhauling everything, but it's hotflashinc.com, hotflashinc across all socials. I have a podcast too every Friday. I'm heading into um, season two of interviews with some really cool people. So um, yeah, drop me a message, a line. I love to ask questions. You know, I'm learning every day. This is, and I met you, and I, what a great thing, eh? We, there's so many cool people working in this space. That's, but that's been the biggest pleasant surprise to me. And I met you, and I love the fact that we co-hosted the Menopause Shift Summit together, and we, you know, we're just, we're doing our thing. And thank you for doing what you do and for being my friend. Aw, thank you, Andrea. It's great to see you and talk to you about this anytime. What a fun conversation with Anne-Marie. Don't forget to subscribe to her newsletter because it's really amazing, and I'll put a link to it below. If you enjoyed today's interview, please share it because the more you share shows you care. And please leave a review because it helps more people hear the Morphous for Menopause podcast. Thank you for watching. I'll see you at the next episode. And always remember, you got this.